0: Hey, everybody. On this episode, we're going to be discussing Minority Report from 2002. We do recommend you watch the movie ahead of time. It makes the conversation more interesting to listen to. So, Mike, what is Minority Report about? Shh, shh John. Do you hear that? You know what I hear, John?
1: Nothing. No scorching hot takes from you about Warhorse. No snide comebacks about Bridge of Spies. No clickety-click of your keyboard as you bang out grandiose, ludicrous thoughts on how Jeff Cameron's legacy is greater than Spielberg's. Do you know why I can't hear those things, John? Because Minority Report frickin' rules. And right now, in this moment of revisiting, trolls like you can't see a thing.
0: Hmm. So, in the context of this... (laughs) In the context of the story, bang, does this bang. mean you're about to murder me? Okay. Yeah. Just checking. You're dead. I was, okay. I was okay with it. I just wanted to know. Because also I'm okay with it because that means I'm Colin Farrell. Yeah. So oh, you know what? What a dreamboat. To, better to die as Colin Farrell than to live as Trying Lamar Okay. Okay. Sorry. Brutal. Ouch. Uh Welcome to This Film Could Be Your Life. <laughs> tough time, tough. That was a darker. Sounds anything. Time. Did you say Jeff Cameron instead of? Jeff oh, Cameron? I think I did. <laughs> I'm 99 sure that you I did. I did. We're not I gonna. Did. We're not gonna change it. Don't. We're gonna.
1: Don't. <laughs> we're gonna leave it. You know what? I
0: disrespect the band so much that it was intentional. So <laughs> brutal. Brutal takes. Hey everybody, welcome once again to this film could be your life, a movie podcast where two friends take the movies that they love way too seriously. I'm Jonathan Devine, joined as always by Mike Overstreet. My eyes, John. I need new eyes. (laughs) I don't think anyone says that in the movie. I just want to be clear right from the get-go. It would be better. I mean, obviously Tom Cruise should have said that. We can all agree on that. Yeah, yeah. If it's not obvious, we're discussing Minority Report, the 2002 science fiction film directed by Steven Spielberg, loosely based on the 1956 novella by Philip K. Dick, set in Washington, D.C. in the year 2054, where pre, com, excuse me, crime a specialized police department apprehends criminals by use of foreknowledge provided by three psychics called precogs. The movie stars Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, uh, Samantha Morton, and Max von Sydow. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. The screenplay was by Scott Frank and John Cohen. Uh, it's uh, sorry, the cinematography was by Janusz Kaminski. Edited by Michael Kahn, and the music is John Williams otherwise known as El Maestro. That's actually true, by the is way, Is it that he's known about that. I mean, okay. I don't know if anyone calls him that like, like, you know, like to his face as friends, but among the music circles, I think he's earned it by now. Sure. Uh, <laughs> this movie is absolutely incredible. Mm. And we start by talking about our history with it. It comes out, it came out 20 years ago, last year. We really nailed the anniversary timing. <laughs> Mike, uh, Tell me about your history of this movie a little bit.
1: Yeah, this is, the, this is the quintessential dad movie. I mean, my dad was obsessed with this movie as a sci-fi nerd himself. And that uh, that's how I got interact or engaged with it for the first time. It was definitely one of those, like, come mm. sit down and watch a movie with me, son. Um, and, man, I, I've just, like, in, been enthralled with this movie ever since. I don't know. It, it's one of those things where if I'm feeling, like, really spicy... I like wanna sure. at least test drive the take that this is my favorite Spielberg movie. Um Ooh. but I never feel <laughs> that's, that's that really spicy. spicy yeah. I never do cuz there's jaws and jaws does exist. But outside yeah. of like jaws, ET, uh, it's up there with me as like with Indiana Jones in terms of the movies that I enjoy. Um I just think it's yeah. great. So that that's it's always been a part of my life. It has always been associated with my father. It is the kind of gritty dark sci-fi that you don't expect from Spielberg, but you do expect your dad to show you on a Saturday afternoon. So.
0: <laughs> Especially your dad, which has yeah. come up on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. This,
1: was, this was not I, inappropriate. I was probably like 14, 15, and that seems like a perfectly fine. fine age That's for okay. A movie like this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm actually, I, I would say I'm pretty similar. I think it's, you know, at the time, this was, I think, a really big deal movie. It was actually the first collaboration between Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg, mm. uh, followed by the incredible War of the Worlds. We might have to do that at some point too, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mike's a little colder <laughs> on it. Well, I actually have a straight thought question that will yeah, yeah. dive at that comparison a little bit more. But uh, I think it's also incredible. I think this movie, I, I would actually call it kind of a sleeper in in Spielberg's catalog. I, I don't think it's necessarily what immediately comes to most people's minds if you think about Spielberg's all-time hits, but I'm right there with you. You know, I think Jaws has its own tier. I think uh, um, E.T., the dramas, we're going to have to get up there, obviously. Um, um, Schindler's List and and, uh, Saving Private Ryan. But I would say within that top five, top six movies, also Indiana Jones, this really has its own place. And it is remarkably... Different for him. Yeah. You know, I I think it's funny coming off of AI because AI plays with similar, at the very least, atmosphere and settings, but is wildly different in every other respect. And it's just such an enjoyable movie. It's, yeah. it's such a good time movie, right? Um this actually gets a little bit into what works for me, but I think of this movie as like a perfect combination of Blade Runner and Indiana Jones. Yeah. And it's a- exactly as awesome as that makes it sound, yep, right? That's it's great. World building of Blade Runner, symbolism, you know, crazy sci-fi ideas, all of this thought-provoking stuff. But the shell it's wrapped in is clearly the guy who directed Indiana Jones. It's got these amazing action sequences, just, you know, all of this fun ideas, fun shots, all this playing around with how we're seeing things and framing things. It's just a joy to watch. And I'm so excited to talk about it. I do want to quickly uh, circle to one other person involved in this movie, uh, at least, you know, over the span of ages. Uh, Philip K. Dick. I just want to have a shout out to one of the titans of golden age, sci-fi, right? Golden age, silver age, I guess, depending on how pedantic you get about that. Uh, I sometimes forget the the list of movies that that came out of Philip K Dick's writing we have blade runner total recall minority report a scanner darkly the adjustment bureau the man in high castle it that's a crazy list right is wild. and yeah yeah i just want to shout shout that guy out Out have curiosity mike have you read any philip k dick
1: i've read blade runner that's it yeah i actually yeah. Have not i have not spent a whole lot of time in his novellas in terms of uh his writing, yeah. I, I, I only pretty much know him through seeing adaptation. Yeah. And like you said, I, I know his name because I've seen so many freaking movies that have been adapted from yeah. his stuff. So yeah.
0: It's strange. I think high recommendation. It I also have read Blade Runner. I've also um read Minority Report, but it was a long time ago. For what it's worth, Minority Report's pretty different. Um as is Blade Runner. Oh Blade <laughs> Runner's
1: wildly different, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I, I do think what's cool about both of those examples is how many of the really, really exciting ideas from the final work actually do trace all the way back to what he wrote and even Minori report, very different book, but, or, you know, short, you know, novella, but all of the precog stuff is there. All of the determinism questions are still there. And I, you know, I guess just shouting out that he's really, really influential in this. And, uh, it's super cool. Otherwise, I don't know if we're going to talk about him again, so nah, just not. wanted to mention that. Um anything else before we dive in?
1: Uh no, I'm I'm super excited. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. giddy with anticipation. I also think this is an exciting movie to talk about uh in terms of it's
0: flaws, but mostly I'm excited yeah.
1: because it is
0: a banger. Yeah. Totally agree. I actually in that case, Mike, I kind of just want to throw it to you uh cuz in a way in a way I already spent the first thing I have for what works um so you know we start the podcast by talking about just what makes this movie work why we respond so strongly to this movie like i said for me it just encapsulates so much of what i love about sci-fi what i love about you know steven spielberg's act action oriented directing eye um as a summary i think that's basically why i like this movie it's it's a perfect summation of those ideas uh, I have a lot of other things but Mike why, why don't you take it here what 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 about this movie do you respond to why does this movie work
1: I mean like I don't know the the easiest thing to point to so we'll just we'll talk about the elephant in the rule uh the room and that is that the the central conceit in, in conceptualization of this movie rules um on a practical yeah. level it's a murder mystery where a pre-crime cop finds out that he's going to murder someone in the future that he's never met and must investigate his own crime in order to
0: see if he can
1: like not commit it. I mean, like, come on, that's like awesome. An that's all time, such a cool seriously, concept. an all-time
0: <laughs> elevator pitch for a movie. Right? That was it's... how I, I put basically the same sentence you did and just wrote like, that's such a perfect like conceit for a movie.
1: It's so good. That it's it's like mixed with this really interesting, and I actually think like quite daring genre blend because obviously it's a sci-fi dystopian but it's also very clearly influenced by like 1950s noir movies like it has a very Mm -hmm. noir and conspiracy thriller murder mystery kind of vibe to it the dialogue is deeply noir the setting is obviously like dystopian sci-fi and then the plot is is clearly a a action conspiracy crime kind of movie and i just think that that's a really again we're talking about like a pitch meeting that's a pretty daring thing to like throw at a wall and be like, and I'm going to make it all in one movie. Um, But it works and it really works well with that central kind of like plot that that, the central tagline. And it creates a movie that is just like so dang exciting and fun to listen to and fun to watch. And so on a practical level, that's kind of where I would start is just the general concept of this movie was so deeply interesting that I almost wish I could have been at the board meeting where he pitched it.
0: Yeah. Where he was excited about, it. I I just totally agree with all of that. It's what I wrote is that it's that premise, that basic idea. It's so easy to grasp. Like I think anyone hears that is just like I get it and I'm in. Yeah. But it's one of those ideas. Those and sci-fi is so good at this, and is why I think you and I often return to sci-fi. It's one of those ideas that you can keep thinking about it, and it keeps revealing more and more implications, right? Yeah. There's all of these other ideas that flow from the basic idea of let's imagine you can predict crime. What comes after that? Okay. Well, we have this pre-crime units that go out and arrest people, but they can't really arrest them or try them. So they just put them into this creepy hibernation thing. So now they're, you know, so what does that mean? So how do you expand this? So where do the precogs come from? And then people deify them. And then all of these incredible world building aspects just, flow naturally from that one basic idea and it's just it just it tickles your mind right Yeah, you you just want to engage with it and it's it's so much fun to dive into
1: well and that's that's like very much where spielberg is at his best when it comes to sci-fi too because like yeah yeah there's a there's a whole level of like you're talking about like the sinking dread of consideration that flows out of like even sitting with for a moment the implications of the precog stuff like you know yeah. The, the police state that forms around this, the spiders, what the hell, that's a whole other thing. Um, the, <laughs> um, but yeah, just like the idea that the pregongs are imprisoned, like you said, reliving the crimes over and over again, the, the idea that they could be wrong, like all of these things kind of just have this like queasy feeling. But then, like, on top of mm. that, what I love about Spielberg is he's so good at, like, the subtle nuance of building out a world's technology in this kind of a movie. Yeah. Like, you know, beyond the precog tech, there's the that automated highway concept. Super interesting. The eye scanners, mm-hmm. the personalized billboards, the, the whole concept of the eye replacement, like, black market surgery that would flow out of that technology that he's already imagined. I mean, it just creates like such a cool lived in experience. And that's before you get to the things that like are what nightmares are made of, whether that's the halo or the sick, the sick stick, which is like, (laughs) Oh my God. I never want (laughs) to.
0: Every time that comes out of this movie, I'm like, what the hell Spielberg? Why are you, what is wrong with you? (laughs) This is a slight tangent. Um, but it is worth noting. Like, like, you know, I, I threw out the Indiana Jones dichotomy earlier. I'm going to keep returning to that. One element I think where this movie really nails that is like, for lack of a better term, the ick factor Spielberg's having a lot of fun in this movie, dude. He's I reminded it's a different movie, but I'm reminded um, with jaws Spielberg said, I felt like I was directing the audience with a cattle prod. And I feel like that applies to this movie so well, right? Yeah. You think about the scene when he's, when he's, can't take off his blindfold and he's going to the refrigerator no. to try to find clean food. This is you a think about, thought. It's this horrible. This is thought.
1: That sandwich yeah. haunts my dreams. I actually could, I I, know. Could, I have had that image in my brain since I was 14. Anyway, go on.
0: I was, <laughs> no, no, hundred percent. In fact, I was, I forgot, I, I wrote it down, but forgot to say it. I was going to say in terms of like my history with the movie, I, I can only imagine that I've like repressed the memories of the first time I saw this movie because I'm a pretty sensitive person and on the rewatch, and this happens every time I rewatch the movie every few years, I'm always shocked at how like, yeah, just how icky it is. How, yeah. how much and it, I, I think in a, I think it's kind of fun. It, it's sort of like a clown. What's yeah. the word I'm looking fun for? Fun house um, kind of a thing. Kind of like when we yeah. talked about, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fun house. Exactly. Um, and so it's it's fun but man it, it really gets in there with that but
1: i mean like uh but even even in yeah. terms of like the casting in a scene like that like bringing in that guy you know the, the yes, classic russian casting. actor who's always like an over-the-top russian it's like that's a perfect way to counterbalance the disgusting room that he's going to inhabit for the next 15 minutes or whatever five minutes so i mean he, that's he's the
0: guy from uh armageddon um, fargo too. fargo
1: right? everything yeah. every russian you've ever yeah. seen um but yeah but, it, but that's just like kind of going to what you're saying about him having fun is he very deeply right. is like this is going to be a disgusting scene i'm have fun doing that and i'm also going to lighten it up by throwing in this like complete oddball actor who's so great at performances like this um very yeah. i don't i just don't feel like we we'll often have to get to see spielberg doing that in which he's kind of winking at us as the audience while enjoying himself so thoroughly but this is definitely one of those examples
0: and it's just, it's just icing on the cake because, like we already said, the basic premise and story and everything is so good anyways. And yeah. all of this stuff is, like, strictly speaking, unnecessary, but it's what makes the movie so enjoyable to return to. I, I'm totally there with you. Um, I just really want to quickly – you you mentioned uh, offhandedly the, the 50s noir styling of it. I'm surprised you didn't mention what to me is almost, like, the most obvious – Part of that, which is the cinematography. Dude. Kaminsky, this is you know, Kaminsky so became weird. Spielberg's guy, and this movie is so weird looking. Yes. It's <laughs> so desaturated. Apparently he bleached the negatives. The I, b- yep. negatives already get bleached, but he bleached them at a very early stage of the process. So it's so washed out and like, you know, it's in a way hard to perceive things sometimes, but it does so much for the atmosphere. Yeah. Um And it's weird because I don't think any other movie has done it. Like I, I just couldn't really picture another movie that looks quite the way this one does with that washed out styling, but futurism and, you know, kind of retro futurism, which we'll get to later because there's some things that feel weird about their version of the future. But yeah, it, it, it looks incredible. And, and obviously the shot framing and that side of things, which, you know, Spielberg's a genius on is, is there as well. But it's just there's so much character in every element of yeah. the movie, right? And, yeah, yeah. Um, and it conveys so much besides just what's happening on screen.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's super strange, real yeah. quick, because I forgot about this until I rewatched the movie. I completely forgot about how it looked. Um, it, it is so odd. I mean, I keep saying that, but it's such an odd visual style because, like, in many ways, we've already mentioned this, but this is a totally unique movie for Spielberg in the sense that it's probably like the darkest, dirtiest, grungiest movie he's ever made in terms of like sure. what he's looking at half the time. A lot of the things in this movie, as we already mentioned are gross, but it's also just kind of like dirty. And yet yeah. every single shot feels like it's kind of like overflowing with like fluorescent lighting, which is what you're talking yeah. about. It's that bleaching effect. So there's glare there's like light refracting off of like everything and And it's very disorienting, but I think this is the first time watching this movie that it hit me just how perfectly that does capture a dystopian future, right? It is, like, very lit up, but all that really shows is that the light is kind of fake, and it only really reveals the dirt that's underneath everything, all the fingernails in every scene. Um, And I just thought that was brilliant. So this is definitely one of those, like, form and function perfectly kind of mixed together in a way that I've never seen done in a movie before.
0: I totally agree. And I think it also highlights the difference between cuz cuz it is very much like a dystopia that presents as a utopia. You have all these parts of the world that are very like hyper clean, hyper futuristic, seem like that gap beautiful is, but is then beautiful. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then like right next to it is, you know, this dark alley with that looks horrible with this guy without eyes selling drugs. Yeah, what's also he up to? scared the shit out of me. <laughs> what's he of up to? I just want to note that. <laughs> what's that guy's yeah, backstory? That guy, <laughs> I don't think he I was gonna say he doesn't even come up in the movie again, does he? I think I think maybe he's the connection that he finds the eye doctor, but that could be a, no, that's, I, that's it Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Strange. Yeah, just has that little moment. What's he up um, to these days? I don't know. Shout out to that guy. Uh You know, I think we've gone a minute without talking about what was the biggest deal when this movie came out. I I did a little bit of reading about how this movie, you know, had pretty good reception at the time, made a ton of money, $350 something like that, uh, but has retroactively gotten a lot more kind of critical reappraisal as one of Spielberg's great movies. Uh, At the time, the biggest deal about this movie was the coming together of Spielberg and another titan. Tom Cruise, right? And I guess they only had two movies, which I sort of misremembered. Wild, yeah. I felt like they had done like this whole collaborative thing, but I'm pretty sure it's just this and war of the worlds. And it honestly is a great pairing to me. Yeah, right? I think it's so cool. perfect because yeah. Cruise in this movie, I mean, first of all, this is a great time for Cruise. This is when he's, I, I almost want to say it's even his apex because he's the biggest movie star in the planet but he's still making interesting decisions, yep. right? Yep. Like five or six years later, he's decided I can't do anything weird. I'm not working with these incredibly talented directors who won't let me do what I want. I'm going to basically get hired guys, you know, do everything with Chris McQuarrie, become just the action guy. And, uh, you know, this has worked out for him and I've even liked a lot of those movies. So I'm not saying it's bad, but I really miss the night, the eighties, nineties, in very early two thousands when cruise was like doing these Dude. risks. He's doing movies with Kubrick. He's doing movies with Spielberg. He's doing, he's doing these crazy parts, these different things. He's hiring John Woo for mission impossible Two. You know, I mean, it's such a cool moment for him and he's, he's really good in this movie. I'm, I'm yeah. actually not going to say he's the best, actor in this movie no 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 no. his he has his faces are out of control in this
1: movie but that's a whole other other conversation but i think that works and and
0: what i wrote it's funny you say that because what i the one sentence i wrote about him is well first of all he's peak movie star but yeah he lives in the liminal space between i'm seeing the character and i'm seeing the actor yeah and for i think he pulls it off though right like i think he's in that that kind of person who's like it's okay that I sort of see Tom Cruise and not John Anderton. Like it works for the movie. And he certainly, I think, I I think the best thing that you could say for him in this movie is that he sells a lot of wild stuff, right? Mm -hmm. He's got to he's got to you know, use the rope to get to the refrigerator to try to eat the stuff and then climb into the bathtub. Um, Really quick. I'm going to steal one of my stray thoughts later in the bathtub they were initially gonna have to do this whole like uh special effect in order to get the one bubble coming up from him to burst uh and Cruz was like oh wait i think i can just do that and they just did it and i'm like man what a god i don't know how he did that because looking at that that would mean you have to hold your breath for a while because it has to get still first right yeah that's wild what a pro um But I think he's I just think he sells a lot of especially the action and the physicality of the role of the movie. And he's believable and he's fun. Yeah, no, I completely
1: agree. I think, you know, apart from, again, some cruise face moments, he is a perfect blend of action star and, you know, quality enough actor also to carry the pathos in this movie. I think he doesn't. Yeah. He does not always nail the dramatic
0: parts of this movie. That's that's kind of where those cruise faces come in. I'm wondering if we're thinking of the same scene, by the way, we're going to, we'll see later on, but I'm just, I'm thinking of a scene when you're saying that.
1: I I'm super curious, but anyway, I do think that there are just some, he, he does carry the scenes in this movie that need to be like heavy with pathos and need to be emotionally affecting. He does do a good job. Like the scene where his Mm. kid gets kidnapped is haunting. That's just like a, a truly horrifying scene, especially as like a parent, that movie I hate it. I hated watching it this time. Terrifying. Um, yeah. I think your your mileage may vary on the scenes of him watching videos with his, of his kid. That's that's what I was th- thinking. Yep. Of. That's that's. <laughs> how, I'm not I'm gonna say hand. that's one. However, the scene in the hotel with the person that he thinks killed his kid is an absolutely oh, great. breathtaking monologue. This is Sean, my
0: son. Every day, for the last six years, I've thought about only two things. The first is what my son would look like if he were alive today. If I would recognize him if I saw him on the street. The second is what I would do to the man who took him. Take me home. You said so yourself. There is no minority report. I don't have an alternate future. I am going to kill this man.
1: But yeah, when he when he ends that with the "You're right," I'm not being set up. Oh. It's like there is murder in this man's veins. And that's just one of those moments where we are reminded that Tom Cruise isn't just a caricature at, or an action hero. He is an amazing actor when he wants to be. And
0: he carries both
1: yep. into this movie, I think, at, at the right amount, even if he doesn't always nail it.
0: I totally agree. I'm there for you. Having said all of this, do you not think that Tom Cruise is upstage in his own movie by the young blood that is Colin Farrell as Whitwer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. He's in. The craziest thing is, he's not in that much of the movie. No. He's only. He gets killed like halfway through, maybe three quarters of the way through. And yet, every scene he's in, he radiates so much charm, charisma, intelligence. His, his action chops are amazing. I love the scene where he's chasing Cruz through the car factory. Oh, my right? God. Yes. Like those And, like, actually, I think that's the biggest, like, did this man just do Tom Cruise better than Tom Cruise? Because in terms of intense running, yeah. Farrell just nails it. Well, I just I mean, don't know Tom what to Cruise say. Can't I mean, <laughs> that's a running. <laughs> Everyone knows that anyway. Sorry, (laughs) everyone knows that. I love the scene when they're in the temple and Cruz thinks he's going to nail him about something with his dad. And he's like, or he's like, what does your dad think about what you do? And just instantly he's there with, I don't know. He died. He was shot. Yeah. And it's like, and already you realize this guy is working on a couple levels ahead of everyone else. Uh, spoilers, but I love how he's the first person to figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if you notice, Cruz doesn't really until the very end and debatably, um, but he actually puts it together. And of course gets killed for it in a really haunting scene. I think that's yeah. great. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I just thought Colin Farrell in this movie shines. I feel like this, had to be, this might've been the first time I saw him too, right?
1: Yeah, no, he's magnetic and, and he has so many small ticks, you know, obviously like the prayer beads and stuff like that, but he is, he is just like a, the a cat and mouse machine across from Tom Cruise in this. And I do think out acts him in the movie. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just, I love him. I do think this is probably my introduction to him. And that is a good segue into the other actor to talk about this movie, which is Max von Sydow. I mean, this guy's director, Lamar Burgess, is so good in this movie. I don't actually really remember him in many other things. He seems like a that guy. But in this movie, I always think about this character because I think this dude nails that fatherly vibe that's like a little off-putting. You're like, there's something else going on here, but never enough to not make it hit like less hard when he makes his turn. Of course, it would have to be someone with access to the pre-visions in the first place. Someone fairly high up. Shh. Do you know what I hear? nothing no footsteps up the stairs no hovercraft out the window and no clickety click of little spiders do you know why i can't hear any of those things danny because right now the precoves can't see a thing Mm -hmm. so like i i know that my intro was better than that in terms of acting but (laughs) but no That scene is so chilling, right? And he sells it so well. And it's such a good performance. And I I think he is a a kind of foil and a big bad in this movie that I truly think the movie does not work without him being able to walk that tightrope between like father figure and this clearly insidious figure um, that once revealed, you kind of go,
0: oh, duh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, love it. Just love him. I think I think it's unbelievable in the movie. It is a little bit, but in a way that I think noir has to be like this, where on subsequent rewatches, I think it just seems so obvious where his character is going. Yeah. But yeah, 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 that's, yeah. again, not actually bad. I think that's just kind of the genre, yeah. right? And it's like, okay, we're, we're fine with this. Um, I don't know. I You know, Samantha Morton as Agatha, I think, weirdly... I don't know if you'll agree with this Mike. Cause a lot of people were very like excited about her in this movie. I think she weirdly doesn't mm. have that much to do. Like I kind of wanted yeah. more from Agatha the movie. I just feel like the character kind of yeah. gets dragged along has one, has one or two really cool scenes. And then that's kind of it. I'm like, okay.
1: Yeah. She has, she has like a, the, I always think of the monologue where she's describing the future of their son. If he had lived, um, or I guess maybe her son's murder, like when the son dies. I yeah. can't remember exactly what the, the context of, is that supposed to be implying. But it, it's like, you know, powerful. It's a powerfully delivered monologue. Yeah. Um. I think her best attribute in this movie is that she's just like gives a good physical performance. Yeah. Like she really does capture a woman who hasn't walked in years. And can barely exist outside of their prison. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's great. But, I, you know, that's kind of one of those things Like you're saying. That's not really something she was given to do. Yeah. It almost feels like she's adding to the part in a way that it is not written for. So um, I will say that when she first jumps and grabs <laughs> I was Cruise, about to say that. Gonna, it scares me every time, John. I was gonna say, time. like
0: at all times, Spielberg jump scare, like straight up, yeah. you know, like that, it, yeah, and yeah. the timing is is just so. I always get it slightly off. I know it's about to happen, but I'm like, oh, where's what? You know, I can't God say it. Dang, dude. Um, yeah, it's bad. Really quick, Catherine Morris, Lara. I think great job. Uh, pretty again, kind of a straightforward role. Maybe a lot of questions in terms of how the character is written in the ending, but hey. <laughs> does, does it pretty well I, i'm there for it and what lo- you know I, if you have others i'm fine with that but i just want to shout out a very weird part of this movie that i think works great lois smith as dr iris heineman she's the p- crazy plant lady yeah uh, yeah yeah i have some Love questions i have some thoughts <laughs> that will come up later but for now i just want to say she does a great job and and i think that yeah. in terms of conveying like Total batshit crazy lady, but who's also still probably yeah. smarter than everyone else in the room. She kills it. She's there. It's a great part. It's a great yeah.
1: role. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you a big were you a big fan of Wally the caretaker played by Daniel London?
0: <laughs> Forgot Was about that a that. big one for you, John, AKA the guy how from. About, how um, about how
1: about our boy? How about our boy Tim Blake Nelson, <laughs> old Gideon on the keyboard?
0: That's who. So I. So oh, wait, wait, wait. strange. Wait, wait, wait. Which one's which? <laughs> so which one's the guy who plays the the uh, organs for all of the, for the...
1: Oh, that's Tim. That's Tim Blake Nelson okay. from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Fame. There An you go. I was going to say, I only know that guy from... O- <laughs>
0: <laughs> I only know him from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? from this movie. And it's always surprising seeing... He plays him. the same person in every movie. It's one. it's a good role for him, though, <laughs> in this movie. Like yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, I will just... As a blanket statement, I think one really cool thing about this movie is how like wacky and zany so many of the side yeah. characters are. You know, yeah. Um again might come up a little bit later, but as a rule, as a world building idea and like as a way of keeping the whole universe of the movie interesting, I think it's great, and it, and it it does a lot of work of making the movie fun to watch. Um, yeah, with you. The only other thing I have, because we, I mean, in a sense, we've we've said a lot of very big general things, but. The only other thing I have for why the movie works is just, you know, the philosophical tension at the heart of the premise of the movie, right? Like, just this very basic idea of can you arrest someone for a crime that they haven't committed? And I want to note that the the opening of the movie is really, really smart, I think, because it starts in the middle of this case that seems so cut and dry. When the guy is shouting, which actually is very early on kind of horrifying when he's shouting like i wasn't gonna do it and then they take out the halo and he's like no don't put me in that thing blah blah, blah. At, at, at on the first watch when you're there i feel like you're kind of on the side of the pre-crime team right because you're like yeah you were literally right about to stab her like you were th- yeah. like the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the the scissors were inches from her so you're like okay so you know this is probably a good thing right but I think that the movie does that so that we can then spend every subsequent scene tearing at this idea of, wait a second, is this right? Does this make sense? What amount of fallibility would we accept in a system like this? My other, I think the other great mic drop um, line is from the crazy plant lady when she says, the precogs are never wrong, but occasionally they do disagree. And the whole movie yeah. turns, right? Where you're like, wait, what? Yeah. what? Yep. <laughs> What'd yep. she say? Yep. Yep. And so stuff yep. like that, I think is just so compelling. You just want to think about it and explore it and dive deeper into this idea and this world. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a big category. I don't know if you necessarily would have anything to add, but in terms of why it works, I think that's maybe the, the, that might be the biggest reason why I think about this movie in the years between when I get around to watching it. Right. Like I'll, I'll randomly think about that premise and kind of apply it to things and wonder aloud about yeah. the idea of getting trapped in this sort of sleep state because they can't really try me because I haven't really committed the crime. I don't know. It's 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 a really, really effective idea.
1: Yeah, and I don't really have, I mean, just ditto to everything you just said. Um, and using that almost like as a, a scaffold, I think that does connect to my other big reason for why this movie works, which is that it explores the kind of concepts you're talking about um, with what I would call a masterclass in efficient, thoughtful exposition. I, I think it engages these heady topics in ways that doesn't like hold our hand and walk us through it. So I think that line you just threw out there is a perfect example, right? It doesn't sit down. They're like, let's talk about what would be different if maybe one of them was wrong, but it does have a character offhandedly be like, but they do disagree sometimes. And you're like, excuse me, <laughs> what yeah. was that? Um. And and the movie just does this in so many ways. I think this is one of the best examples of a sci fi movie that, like, teaches us how to watch it and teaches us what questions to ask without holding our hand or really, like, overstuffing us with exposition. I mean, you could think of, like, the opening sequence, like you said, the crime that they show you is so deeply intentional in the beginning of one that is, like, clearly a prevented murder. Mm. But then, like, also, the way that it shows him kind of working the computer, which I could probably watch him do for hours, introduces yeah. the precogs, the concept of pre crime, all in a very visually fascinating, kind of really quick flashing sequence that, in a sense, like introduces you to all the technology, all the backstory, everything you need to know, but also begins teasing you with those kind of philosophical questions that it is then going to explore subtly and in, in complex ways over the course of the rest of the movie. Um, and I just love that I just think this movie is is an, a broadly speaking is so perfectly comfortable at showing us its world without explaining it to us yeah um, especially when it comes to its technology and this dystopian kind of wrestling that it wants us to have with the very nature of time and crime and free will and, and determinism so I just thought that is a perfect kind of segue into just being like I love how this film handles exposition to a pretty heady and dense kind of world that it's inviting us to explore.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's so, it's so good about giving us action first. I don't mean action in terms of like action scenes, but in terms of, you know, the story is moving forward because things are happening, right? Like it's not, Yeah. it, it, it doesn't really take its time. It doesn't, it, it, it motivates something to happen and that keeps you becoming reengaged in the world. Uh, yeah. I, I just totally agree with you on that um anything else mike on why this movie works
1: for you uh, i just got two shout outs of singular scenes we hmm. already mentioned one the fight in the car factory is dope it just rules um the gravity guns are awesome the uh the, him popping up in the car at the end <laughs> it's just so fun but even perfect when a uh, boy
0: moment there right yeah. like just a oh little my god just that little flourish on top
1: Or even when he punches Colin Farrell and Colin Farrell smiles and spits out the blood. It's just like a sweet sequence. It rules. It reminds me of Indiana Jones. We've already said that. Um, But I just want to shout it out. And then the second is, I think, the spider searching the building after John's gotten his new eyes is such a good scene. That is like classic Spielberg flex, Mm. how he does like the dollhouse where it's like a, a, a pan shot over all the rooms. So you're like looking at this like complex from the top as if there is no ceiling. And it just like goes from room to room with the spiders. That is so cool. Yeah, that is such a cool effect.
0: It rules. You get this little um, thing that's yeah. like the like the mother trying to calm down her kids, and the and you yeah. know, all these little moments. And yeah, it's great. The couple. My it's favorite great. is the couple who is arguing stops long enough <laughs> yeah, to get stop. scared, and then goes right <laughs> back to arguing. Yes. Which is also again it's so though good. it's funny because there's a quiet horror of how. Like you, how everyone there is so used to the idea of being like, you know, privacy yeah. invaded because of the pol- right. Like, that's really messed up. But everyone there takes it for granted, and you're like, man, what? Yeah. What is this a? You know, what level of dystopia is this?
1: Well, yeah. And there's there's a really fun thing, which is like th- that argument is pretty much getting physical. So there's also this whole concept that in this society, and you see this with like the drug stuff too. Mm-hmm basically everything else flies yeah like yeah they got right of murder which is good it's good to get rid of murder <laughs> but like hot takes like Michael. history. they haven't dealt with any other part of like moral decay yeah and I think that's like a really interesting thing that the movie's wrestling with is just like uh, this dystopian in some ways is like there's this obsession with rooting out this at all costs and a complete ignoring of anything else that may be like on an existential level just as concerning so yeah. anyway I think that's cool.
0: Totally with you. Um you said was there another scene or or that, that covers it?
1: No, that's it. That's cool. it. Those two scenes always stick with it. Oh, me you know what? Actually, Mike, you just reminded
0: pieces. me of a scene that I wanted to call out. We already talked about the amazing moment when Lamar Burgess kind of has his villain turn, right? And and kills uh Widwer. Yeah. Uh I think what's again, kind of talking about the way the movie understands the implications of the technology in the world what's cool about that moment is that that chillingness with which he points out that no one's coming to stop him because the precogs aren't working so he can get away with murder so you know crazy cool implementation of the world building but it also happens again in a very subtle way much earlier in the movie i love the scene where colin farrell confronts anderton in the elevator oh yeah the and elevator yeah anderton's pointing the gun and colin Furrell says with all of the calmness in the world hey come on you're not going to shoot me there's no red ball with my name right and right when that happens the alarm sound and anderton can basically bluff his way out of the elevator because for that second Widmore is like, "Oh my god, is he about to kill me?" And did they just predict that? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a cool like it's like three or it four is. different plots and characters coming together for yeah. this one little tiny tiny moment. It's so good though. I th- I love that moment. That
1: 4000
0: yeah. level bluff. It's just incredible. Um so good. I guess that covers it for why this movie works. Uh, if it's okay, I'll start with why it doesn't work because I want to kind of finish a thought I started in, in the, that first part of the podcast. Uh, this movie is Indiana Jones meets Blade Runner, but I think the problem I have is that I often think to myself that I would have preferred it if it was just 100% Blade Runner, which is to say, yes not on no, not so much the zany action not so much the, uh. the 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 ripped straight from psycho like let's explain everything ending if it had more atmosphere if it had more symbolism this isn't a fair criticism i think because the movie just is what it is and why am i asking it to be something different but the reason i want to put it here is because most of my negative feelings towards the movie comes from occasionally forgetting that it's not just Blade Runner you know what I mean like yeah I I think in the years between when I watch it I sort of lapse back into thinking like oh man that's that gritty philosophical intelligent brilliantly written you know future noir movie and I go into it and I'm like oh wait but it's also this very and I that word zany just really stuck out to me as like very descriptive of a lot of this movie right A lot of the action, a lot of the set pieces, whatever. And those things aren't bad. They're good. They're well executed. They're hallmarks of Spielberg. He does them, you know, exceptionally like no one else. But I still kind of feel like I would have liked the movie more if it just didn't have all of that. So I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if it's even a real criticism, but... I just have to say it because it's the biggest thing that stops me from putting this movie. So like we said, this movie is definitely in my Spielberg all time top six, but I think that is what would keep it from my all time top six. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll just be more blunt, John. Sure. The double ending to this movie sucks.
0: <laughs> it's sucks. I'm not just talking about the cla- ending to be clear, to be clear. I'm talking about a lot I, of I, the zany action, a lot of that stuff, but the ending does play. Yeah. into Yeah.
1: I think the ending is just like the biggest offender and it it doesn't help that it very much merges with like the classic Spielberg happy ending kind of BS where he just cannot lean into a dark ending, even if it makes way more sense for the movie's tone theme,
0: everything or even in, in, and you know, there is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, there's, there's just like a great moment in this movie, which is, you know, he's going down into the prison. Uh, he's been caught. And it's like he is now going to go do time for this murder and the pre-gogs are going to go national. It's not going to get torn apart. And that is just like a perfect visual ending to the movie as, you know, weird keyboard guy plays him (laughs) into his, uh, you know, dreamless state or whatever. But it's also just like a more compelling thought to end on, too. And I think it really does honestly fit the tone of the rest of the movie and then instead Spielberg's got a Spielberg. So we have to have to have some ending where like his wife steals his eyeball, gets through prison security, frees the good guy. Which no idea why his guy. eyes still
0: work for security, but whatever. No,
1: and so that's a, that was a straight thought that was coming up next. <laughs> it yeah. not only works for the security of the precog office when he gets in, it also works in a prison, which is Long the one that he's housed he's been, at. Been, yeah. That he is housed at, John. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's and we're weird. talking weeks. <laughs> It's funny because and that. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. That's yeah, all I was gonna say is is to make it worse. There is like every plot hole I have with this movie is wrapped up in the second ending too. Yeah. His coworkers helping him to even before they've gotten the murder video coming in. Um. I don't buy Lamar's decision not to kill John in the end of this movie. Like that feels totally out of sync with the character. Yeah. I just think it's a mess. It's just like the last fifteen minutes of this movie feels so messy and so confused. Thematically and tonally, that I I come down so hard on it, and it is what holds this movie back I have, for me in terms of being a pantheon.
0: Yeah, I have very mixed thoughts on this kind of psychoanalysis of directors, but I, I saw someone who was saying like Spielberg often takes his old, kindly old man men characters and refuses to have them be true villains. Uh, I think about yeah, like um, Hammond from Jurassic Park is actually one of the best examples. Cause in the book, he's like a total like villain and in the movie is like basically just a guy who means well, who messes up. Right. And I think Burgess yeah. at the end is very similar. Like you're right. The character in the movie should absolutely have just doubled down and killed him. And yet he wants him to have this pseudo redemptive moment. Um, I would say too, like, it's funny. You, you said that the, that the ending, shouldn't be like, or you know, that the movie works with a dark ending. I actually would go further and say like, I'd even accept a very ambiguous ending. Like, I I think it's even, you know, even with the ending we have, I even, the the part that gets really egregious for me is when they bother to tell us that like pre-crime gets shut down They bother to show us that, like, all the precogs get to live in some freaking cabin somewhere. They bother to show us that Lara is pregnant again, and somehow they're together. Okay. Like, we're literally going between every plot point and being like, this worked out as well as it possibly could. And you're just like, what? That's not. Yeah. What? Where would that come from? I, I saw.
1: I noticed they didn't show us Colin Farrell's body. They, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I I hate it. I actually really. So this was my uh, next stray thought for me, which is, and this is a personal thing, uh, but this is so common. I hate when the loss of a child is resolved in a movie by just having another kid. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it is lazy. I think it's offensive. Quite frankly, there is a way to be like there's been a healing that took place that they were willing to take on the risk of that grief again. But more often than not, the way that it's played is it's just like, oh, we got another one. We got a so new kid, so now. we're
0: good. And it's like, what?
1: And I hate it. I find it like deeply, deeply offensive, yeah. quite frankly. No, <laughs> and I, 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 I hate it. hated it in this movie.
0: I mean, and like, you know, honestly, I don't put a lot of weight into it. But a lot of this is why there's this really well-known fan theory that developed that the entire last act of the movie is taking place in Anderton's head as he's put into this weird dream state. Right. And on the one hand that doesn't really hold water. They make a comment earlier in the movie that they, they aren't really awake and and that they're rewatching the murders that have happened and things like that. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense, but you also understand why people develop that theory because, you know, there's just something unpalatable about the way it ends anyways. Right. Yeah. Yep. I, I generally agree. I and, and I mentioned the ambiguous thing because I don't have a problem necessarily with the happy ending, or at least I should say with the not dark dismal ending. Like I'm okay if it's more ambiguous, but it's just so blatantly like, yeah, overly let's positive, tie everything up, overly optimistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just it's it's yeah. it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, everything else I have by comparison is very small. Uh, yep. I just want to, so so you know I called out the plant lady earlier in a positive sense, and I do actually kind of enjoy the character. I just want to say though, and this actually kind of does relate to my first point about not not necessarily loving the zaniness of a lot of the movie. While I love the weirdness of the world, some of the crazy characters are dialing it up a little bit much. I just want to say it right. <laughs> I think eye yeah, yeah. surgeon guy, plant lady. I think you know. There's just there's a lot of psycho. Why does the why does
1: the eye surgeon have so many boogers, John? Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about this another time. It, it just I was also like, what are we doing?
0: It just feels like a little bit too much. Like a little bit yeah. like, okay, am I even Are you still expecting me to s- suspend my disbelief at this point? Because we're really gunning for it. When she would she like actually in the middle of their conversation just straight up kisses him. You're like, Yeah, I get it. I what? get what's going. I get what you're trying. You're, you know, there's a lot of whatever in the air. There's something with this lady. She's kind of off her rocker. Like, I get it, but also it's just a lot. <laughs> it's just a lot. Yeah. Um, so again, not a huge criticism. And I'll just wrap up if it's okay, Mike, with my my one last yeah. one. Uh again, not exactly a criticism, but there's something really uncanny about seeing such a fully realized vision of the future that totally lacks the internet or smartphones. <laughs> and yeah. And I and yeah. I think the only like part about it that's like specifically negative is that a lot of the movie is like wow, look how amazing this technology is with technology that looks like not very exciting, right? That's a little bit like you know, I guess the cars things and whatever that that's interesting but it just totally misses what is like the biggest development of future technology. So you're sort of like, and it's weird also the way that they physically pick things up to move information around. And you're like, that's not really what we do now. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It, it's again, is it bad? Eh, debatably. It's just is weird. It, it's aged weird. I, I guess I would say, um, yeah. kind of retro futurism, but we're not far enough away for it to be really retro. So It's just kind of odd, I guess. Um, Yeah. Oh, and then also uh, Cruz's faces when he's looking at those replays. It's just ridiculous. It's very much like, you know, the meme of, like, Tom Cruise is actually an alien pretending to be a human. I feel like that pinpoints it, right? Like, the way that when when he's having the dialogue, this is not a funny scene, so I should be laughing. But when he's having the dialogue with his holograph son, about like and he's like doing the lines of you know oh you're gonna be faster than me one day it just feels like a robot i just can't put it any other way it does not feel like a real human being engaging with the memory of his son um nope (laughs) that's strange so so weird (laughs) i know i feel bad but it's just what are you what are you gonna do right like it's it's it sticks out so uh that summarizes everything i have i think you know, you, you've mentioned your big one of the ending. Um, what else do you have, though? Do you have anything else? Uh, you've
1: actually, I think, touched on all of mine. I, I will Sorry. say <laughs> this isn't a... So this isn't... No, no, no. I thought you nailed it. Um, this isn't really a what didn't work. It, it, because I actually am glad that they didn't spend too much time on this. Um, I think it would have added exposition. But this movie really does like yada yada away its conversation on determinism like it doesn't oh, yeah. actually have a philosophical conversation it, it seems to like act like it's gonna have that conversation and then it, it truly does not like it truly just like bunts on that 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 boat entirely and it's just <laughs> like nope they can be wrong don't worry about it yeah um so that's i don't think that's a what didn't work though because i do think this movie is is better off not getting into that the weeds of that mm. like you know i think of of any number of shows like devs that's been like seven hours waiting through that conversation yeah and even then still feels like they didn't tackle it enough so i do think that this is probably the surface level thing is is just a meant to get the plot going and that seems to be all this movie needs but i want to shout it out that like if you guys think this is a, like an actual engagement of a very complicated theme of philosophy and like metaphysics it is not
0: yeah so it touches on them it introduces a lot of things but then it just kind of yeah doesn't really matter and it's like okay cool yeah i know i I texted you something something akin to this but i think it i think the movie does really lose a lot of that bound up tension when even though it's a great scene but when crew uh when john anderton chooses not to kill uh leo crow right and and decides just to arrest Mm -hmm. him and obviously he'd he still ends up shooting him by accident, whatever. But I think in a weird way, that really takes the wind out of the sails of the whole idea because it's kind of just a, it's just like a full answer to the question. It's just like, yeah, no, they are 100% not necessarily going to do, like the precogs can just be wrong. And so then like yeah. all of the weight of like, you know, are you, are you forced into a certain work? it's just gone? It's like, oh yeah, you're not cool. Yeah. Eh, that was the answer. Yep. <laughs> So this is
1: just a evil done. institution. Yeah. End of story. Yeah.
0: And like there are, I think, but every one of them does get really heady. So I think you're, you're correct in your assessment, but just to note, like, I think what makes determinism ex a, a philosophically rich idea does require a lot more like work and a lot more going yeah. through the weeds. And, and there's, you know, there's things that do that, but you're right. I, I think they'd get lost, but it still feels like it's missing in a way. So, uh, yeah so yeah i agree anything else No, yeah, i think that's it yeah. for me well let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some stray thoughts hey everybody welcome back for this part of the podcast mike and i have each developed a few stray thoughts we'll just kind of trade them back and forth. It's basically exactly what it sounds like. Mike, why don't you go first?
1: Uh, this is just a, a, a follow-up to one of your last points and what didn't work, but like the wooden ball part of the murder prediction computer, though cool, is the most profoundly unnecessary invention I've ever seen. And makes yeah. no <laughs> sense in a future world. You're like, wait, you carve a wooden ball? Why, <laughs> but why? They also make
0: a point about how that makes it harder to fake because the ball has its own specific molecular structure. It feels yeah. very flimsy. I, yep. I don't, yep. <laughs> really I, I'm not really apart. there for that.
1: Especially when you find out you can uh, hack into the precogs and like delete their brains. And you're like that. I don't know guys. I don't think the wooden ball is solving uh, the problems here.
0: But anyway, if you're curious, <laughs> if you're curious in the book, uh, there's n- none of the visual thing from the precogs carries over. They just literally speak what they saw. And then which actually adds its own element of like uncertainty, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, I like that better. So makes a lot more sense, but I understand we're in this medium they had to do the whole the whole thing. So um my first thought, there's something nostalgic about a movie that flaunts its visual effects. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the rise yeah. of the CGI age, I think kind of killed that momentum. Like having something visually cool doesn't merit like drawing your attention to it. Sometimes it still does. I think Dune is a great example of a recent movie that does that. But by and large, it feels like effects are like kind of just happen and we don't care about them in the way that we used to. This yeah. movie is like excited to show you things. It's like, yeah. wow, look at this. Wow, look at that. I kind of, you know, what I mean, it's nostalgic. I kind of, yeah. I, I kind of missed that.
1: I, I, I had that strong feeling when watching him do the first like breakdown of the murder with the, yeah. the glove and the screen. And you're like, this is just so cool to watch. This is such yeah. a cool visual. And this is such cool. Technology. And it treats it as
0: cool to watch. It yeah, treats it 100%. as like, Oh, this is so different and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Still wish we had that. I don't have that as a straight thought, but just saying, yeah. you know, I can't manipulate technology, waving my hands around, even though a lot of people have subsequently pointed out, that's not a very efficient way of manip- manipulating information, but whatever. It's fun. It looks cool.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, is Tom Cruise so capable of selling fervent commitment to a dystopia because he's living in one currently?
0: That's what I wrote. <laughs> oh boy, I'm just you know, I'm just gonna no comment this one, buddy. I, I'm, just, okay. Okay. I, I'm just gonna leave that one in the air. Let oh. let the audience chew on that one. <laughs> Art imitates life, my friend. Ooh, ooh. Um. Yeah, I'm just gonna move on. Here we go. Good good question, Mike. Good question. <laughs> um, similarly, in terms of the dystopian question, this is kind of a two-parter, one for one, I really appreciate just how dumb all of the pre-crime unit are, except for John. <laughs> like it's yeah, like it's bad. but it's like a point that the movie makes, that they're all yeah. really bad at everything they do without like a strong leader. I, I just had a question, is that supposed to be Is is it about, like, commentary on the fact that the police have gotten lax because of pre-crime? Is it a meta joke that, like, they're only good at running and gunning because they haven't had to do actual policing? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, that's the best I can do with it. As it stands, it's just kind of a funny, weird part of the movie that they're all so comically bad. I love the scene right when the spider clears John, which, by the way... They should have investigated that. Like this person in this apartment apparently disappeared, came back, disappeared, came back over the course of five minutes. And yet, despite the fact that they're outside the door, they're like, oh, it's some other dude. Cool. And what does he say? I think he says like, let's go eat or something. And you're like, what? That was weird. Yeah. yeah they're they're all just very weird. And I, I don't know what to do with that. And very dumb. Yeah. Uh, so, it's yeah. Weird. Good times. It's weird.
1: Yeah, and I, I remember they also because like doesn't I think there's a comment made by Colin Farrell's character that one of the guys worked in like tax law before this or like the IRS. <laughs> so I yeah, do think I yeah. do think there's a commentary here that's like without any kind of detective work, these people are just like militarized grunts. But yeah. I don't really I don't know I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what it's about. Anyway, Harder. um, yeah. So my next one. <laughs> I just have a lot of questions. Honestly, I just noticed yeah. that most of mine are questions. Um, in the opening scene with the affair, why is the adulterer hanging out across the street at a trench coat on a freaking playground? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, what are we doing? What are we doing, my man? <laughs> has, has, also, has the elimination of murder made adulterers that lax, John? <laughs> like, is that what's happening?
0: <laughs> also, just like, staring at the house right like like just kind of you know continually looking that way it's like is this the best play i just don't know buddy
1: it's not good my man
0: it's not good he should be
1: murdered that's my take (laughs) pre-crime is preventing darwinism that's
0: that's my take (laughs) hot takes from mike overstrom (laughs) brutal um this is weird this is just a weird thing steven spielberg hired the top 12 contortionists from around the world to do the futuristic yoga class scene my question is was this a good allocation of a movie's budget i i just was i just could not believe that when i read it i was like what are you talking about that is like i had to remember what that scene was do you know what i'm talking about yes, I know. it's that's when so he crashes weird. through the window from yeah, the yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: that's so weird it's like what
0: i i just he's, don't he's understand right. but Uh, okay okay steve you made the movie you know more than me just weird just a weird thing that's a weird flex weird flex bro i guess it is kind of a flex it's like for this literally 20 seconds of film i have to hire these people i can't have anyone else
1: yeah that's gotta be it that's gotta be it um i got i got two precog questions for you john hit me first of all how do precogs future site seem to work geographically like, it seems like it's just limited to DC in the movie, but how is that possible? Uh, and then second question, how can they expand it nationally if they were created through genetic accident?
0: I think that there are answers, but they're not good answers. I think okay. that the the first one really just doesn't make sense. So actually, there is no answer to that. The movie, they, they do say at some point 200 miles so I guess they don't see it as, like, just Washington, but that mm. that general area. Why it doesn't work outside of there, who knows? Um, and, yeah, doesn't really make sense. In terms of the expanded nationally, I don't really have any idea, except that she does say there are a lot of kids like this, or there are mm. more kids like this. Okay. That she says there are three who survive, but she she specifically says something about, like, but they're like, like, cause, cause well, I guess so, all these children were born after their parents got addicted to this new drug. That's really yeah. crazy. Um, which by the way, have, have you ever noticed that, that, um, looper like just lifts that plot idea. One hundred percent. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it does. Copy yeah. paste that. <laughs> kind of weird. Don't know what to do with that. Kind of classic. But, Johnson, uh, cool. But I love it, but that's not, that's kind of fun brand.
0: But yeah, just kind of weird. Uh, But yeah, I I guess that that's the explanation, but they really don't make it clear for such an incredibly like key part of the movie. And it also doesn't gel with the whole deifying the precogs thing, right? Yeah. If they're so like, if they're that special, then there wouldn't be all these other ones. So yeah, I I, honestly, it doesn't really make sense. And I think the movie kind of hand waves it, you know? Yeah,
1: it does. It does. Okay. Just make sure. Just check. This is
0: definitely, this is not my straight thoughts, but I just want to follow up from that and ask you directly. How much of this movie, because there are a lot of plot holes in this movie, how much of them fail by the plot hole test we've established that you notice it the first time you're watching? I think the uh, ending fails, but otherwise I think I was there the first time.
1: Yep, nothing. Literally, and I'm not even sure the ending failed because I was like 14 and I wasn't like thinking critically enough for that. Oh, sure, that. yeah. Um, I think if I saw it today, I'd been like, what the hell? (laughs) What the hell was that? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, no, I I don't think I caught any of these. I don't think I even once thought about the precogs in a way that would like on my first viewing lead me to be like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Where did they come from? Um, And and part of that's credit to how quickly the movie moves through this exposition and how interesting it is. Because it definitely, it speeds you through this stuff before your mind can latch on to some of these uh, gaps.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, cool. Sorry, I don't remember. Is this me or you now? You just went. So no, it's me. Went. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, huh, this one's weird. The tiny in ear cell phones used throughout the movie, mostly by Lamar Burgess, uh, are wired earphones without the connection cables. And the reason I wanted to point that out is because when I read that on the IMDb trivia, I was astonished because the entire movie, I just thought they were wireless earpieces. Huh. But I forgot that in 2002, wireless earpieces like that oh, didn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like like that this kind of My retroactive, like too. it looks yeah. normal to us because we're like, oh yeah, it's a wireless earpiece. But at the time it was like, oh, this is so cool. Ooh, and like we uh, had to make those by cutting off the wires from, and you're like, oh yeah, I guess that didn't exist. Then. I, I don't know. Super weird.
1: That's so weird. Yeah, I never would have yeah. thought of that. I just assumed that was like normal. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're old, is what I'm saying. This movie came out in 2002. Uh,
1: this next one's for Tyler. Uh, actually, I guess I'm I'll so just, happy you're doing it because I didn't I, have it. I have two. I have two. I <laughs> okay. I actually did yeah. not have. I did not have the one you were thinking of, but now we have to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> worse, hang. <laughs> lewin davis or tom cruise
0: <laughs> i did not think you were gonna wait just tom cruise not yeah, even like the tom character cruise. no the person just the person tom cruise i mean that one's easy tom cruise Is if it? you like work with him <laughs> sends you a cake every year oh that that's I, true I, you and i have both listened to a podcast where they describe yep. eating the cake yeah. and they say it's delicious and like i want that cake so yeah. i'm just gonna say Obviously, Tom Cruise. I'll take all that. You know what? He can pitch me on Scientology. I'm cool. Whatever. But do I get cake at the end of it? What that's learned, what I want to know. What we've learned today
1: is that John would join Scientology before hanging out with Llewyn Davis. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. That's I'm not an not one. to disagree. Yeah. Uh, so what I was actually going to say, and this one's also for you, Tyler, and this is just a statement. So I'm just going to read my statement and yeah, go comment beyond what I'm about to say. Director Lamar tells Danny that he was talking with Cruz's character about the Mets. Bummer that baseball still exists in the
0: future. <laughs> this is the darkest timeline. Oh my God. I, I have no comment either. Uh, yeah. That's the, most, the official position the of this dystopian podcast. The part that. of this movie. <laughs> um. Speaking of Lamar Burgess and the ending of the movie, so at the end, they're throwing this whole congratulative party, all this crazy stuff is happening, and someone says something about signing hats. I just want to ask, is this a weird upper class thing I don't know about, or is this a weird future thing I'm not supposed to know about? I just want to put that out there. Got nothing. You don't know either. Got
1: nothing for you. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe... Maybe it's like We're, a quirk of the character. Maybe he signs pre cats or something. I don't. I don't know.
0: I don't know. They just said it like it was a known thing, I'm like, wait, is this a weird future thing or yeah. a weird like upper class thing? I you just know don't know. I'm gonna We're go too be- poor, Mike. I'm gonna go rewatch
1: all of Succession, and I'll let you know if it comes up. Okay, yeah, get
0: back to me on that one.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> um, so, Jod. Since you know, we always we always say this this podcast is about finding our, ourselves in movies. You know, this movie it could be your life, John. Um, yeah. Do you personally identify with the creeper playing the organ to unconscious murderers? Is that like is that like where you see yourself in ten years? If you were asked that <laughs> oh on my a God.
0: job interview, it's, you is know this... what? I'm just gonna say, looks like a great job. Like, I mean, he gets to sp- express himself artistically. He's got a nice little... Wait, do they imply that he lives there? I don't know. (laughs) It certainly seems that way. (laughs) I'm going to say living there is a deal breaker for me. (laughs) Because it's a little creepy. I couldn't do that. Uh, Everything else, though, I'm on board. Yeah, looks looks lovely. Okay. Just checking. Yeah, thanks for checking in. Uh, This is my last one. I don't know if that adds up. I hope it does. Yeah, I got one Uh, more. Yep. Mike, this is a question for you. And I feel like this is... I actually... You said something that made me think this may not be as intriguing of a question as I thought it was going to be. But I'm going to steam ahead anyways. Which ending is more egregious? This movie or War of the Worlds from okay. two or three years later? Okay.
1: So the answer to that question is War of the Worlds. But I want to be clear. That, yeah. I want to be clear. That has nothing to do with Spielberg since he's just like kind of riffing off of the the story um Hmm. like there is something un (laughs) guys spoiler for world of worlds there is something (laughs) so deeply absurd that these aliens planted these robots in the ground like millions of years ago and did not catch that there's like water in our atmosphere Like that's insane. That's like truly in the theater. Like, what the hell did you just say to me? Um, Yeah. Like, so that's that was one in the theaters that like really I caught, and I was just like, this is stupid. This is just stupid. That's Um, not.
0: That wasn't what did it for me. what just to keep on War of the Worlds for a second, the moment that like I still can't quite believe happens because he gets to the house. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I guess this is going to be as happy. Uh, so I guess many were the world's podcast in the middle of this minority report. Yeah. He yeah, gets to yeah. the house and you're like, okay, I guess this is happening. Whatever. They die from the cult. Sure. That's in the book. Probably who cares? And then his son walks out of the house and in the theater, in the moment, oh, I was just like, what just happened? Are you like, no. That makes no sense. That doesn't add up across anything that's been going on here. Yeah. Like his his son should just be gone, should just be dead or we don't know or whatever. He's there and he's fine and they're all okay. Like what? I, I just it's beggars belief. It's astounding. So- so, two two follow-ups.
1: First of all, I clearly confused World World with signs um, when I was talking about water.
0: So, let's just, like, acknowledge that real quick. <laughs> um, I was kind of wondering. I thought you were... Because so, I was like, is he talking about the cold? Like the, no, the environment no, no, no. I'm so confused. I,
1: I also just did not find the whole cold thing very... Uh, I think that works better in a book. So, it works on both. Both those movies have endings where I'm like, what the hell, dude? Um, but I was clearly talking about signs. Anyway... <laughs> i am with you so let me pitch you on this john let me pitch you on this yeah what if me, instead me. of the sun coming back there was just a shot of tom cruise holding a pregnant woman and he was like i don't need that <laughs> fucking kid <laughs> like i got a new one and it moved on
0: i think you know what better ending let's <laughs> let's just say it let's just put there it, it is. out there so i he guess minority just doubled report back is He should double back. back
1: i guess minority report is worse yep that's my answer i've come all the way around <laughs>
0: Man, why Spielberg should hire us, frankly. You know, dude. he should do dude. the Lucas thing and just go back and start editing these movies from 20 years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> put put some put some uh jar jars out of and, and all sorts of monsters. It's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. Good times. <laughs> oh, uh, I got one more. Um, yeah. dude, I I truly, truly don't know what to do with this. I've never caught this before. I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. And this is the first time I've noticed. But when they're uh, the precogs are in the cabin at the end of this movie, did you notice that Agatha has a video of her mom's murder on a necklace? <laughs> just hanging out with this? Are you it? serious? Yeah, it's that little clip of her mom underwater when she's drowning that keeps being replayed, where she has like the red coat from the precog just, vision, and she just has just, it on like a little replaying screen that she's wearing around her neck which is psychotic
0: that just has to be a mistake right someone someone in IOM didn't get the memo and was like oh we're supposed to put this this shot into there okay I guess I don't know it came from up top (laughs) and no one noticed it like that just has to be wrong That's that's insane I did not know that
1: I guess, like, Ugh. I guess, the and it's funny because I was going to say you can make the argument that it's the only picture they have of her, but that's not it's true not. <laughs> because they actually show earlier in that vision a picture of her just sitting in front of the lake where you can see her face clear as day. So, yeah, she looks fine. <laughs> she chose the murder. I don't
0: know. Maybe Agatha's just messed up. We never, yeah. we never consider that. Maybe
1: she's, well, just, you know? We kind of did. They did lock her in like a fugue state for you know, a decade.
0: So, Fair point. You know, made we never talked about the action set again. piece. Uh, I was gonna say we never talked about the action set piece where she's predicting everything that's about to happen to get him out of the mall. Yeah, Are you there yeah. for that? Uh, it's fine.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Cool. I All don't. Right. I don't. It doesn't seem to be how pre-site works anywhere else in the film. So there's that's like that my, part of that it. That was
0: why I always have a question with it. Yeah, I'm yeah. like this. I felt like they are supposed to just pick up on like the emotional state of people who are about to commit murder, and that's the whole point. But yeah. Uh, Okay, it, de-
1: it definitely doesn't seem like that immediate, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, it's fine. It didn't bother me. Also,
0: wait, say. sorry. Now that we're just doing this, I, just just real quick, why would you install the water basin that the precogs live in with like a freaking toilet flush that, that takes them out to the like <laughs> so that questions. just doesn't seem. I, I don't know. I just got questions. I feel like that's not like the way that we should set these things up. Is that, am I, am I the crazy one? Okay. okay. I Yeah. Guess you I know,
1: am. I think you're onto something, John. I think you're making a lot of sense to me, but that's okay.
0: So definitely does not pass the test of the more you think about it, you do start finding a few plot holes, but we're not cinema sins. We're okay with that. It still is a great movie in the moment. Fun. It's fun to talk about though. Yeah. absolutely. Uh, Okay, well, you know, for the last part of the podcast, we kind of just try to dive in, kind of dialoguing in a deeper way about some aspect of the movie. Uh, For this one, there was a lot to talk about, even though in a way, as Mike alluded to earlier, some of the more obvious themes of the movie, it actually doesn't flesh out that much. It sort of leaves sitting there. So instead, we wanted to pivot and talk a little bit about this sort of other theme of the movie, which is the the dichotomy between being the one on the side of justice of chasing down people and stopping them before they commit a crime and feeling justified in, in preventing something from happening. But then also the side of being chased and feeling like, you know, you'll do anything you can, anything in your power to escape and to, avoid you know basically this nightmarish existence that they want to condemn you to i i I guess i don't know there's a few different things to talk about here i think that the movie in a way it's actually in a movie full of horrifying implications i it really stuck out to me and this is why i initially had thought about this as a topic to dive into it really stuck out to me how you know so once john is running away from the pre-crime unit there's this moment that someone says, I think it's when he's on the phone with Lamar and he's basically the haloing comes up and he says with true fear, I, they're not going to do that to me. Right. Or something of that effect. Yeah. And it's pretty chilling when you realize that literally one day before without a, a trace of uh, self doubt or consideration or anything John very happily will halo anyone else who who, his little system has spit out that they're evil, right? Or that they're going to commit this murder. Um, I think that just illuminates something very interesting about how different justice can look when you're on a different side of it, right? Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because I kind of respond to that in two ways. One is like the obvious one. Which is like that phrase that always comes up that you hear all the time where it's like, Hey, innocent people don't run until you are in a situation where you're terrified and being chased by like a cop or you're in a situation where you've been misunderstood. And you find out how like absurd that is. And it there is a level of this that is just the the judgmentalism that comes with having never been in a situation that we're like judging. And this is very human, right? right? Um, which is like you actually have no idea what innocent people would do in this situation because you've never been there before, and you're only saying that because you don't want to like think about the implications of a broken system or an act of violence or whatever else. Um, so that's like the obvious one. I think the more interesting one is that this movie like really does act and work as a, a parable about like conversations around like the death penalty, right? Because that that's yeah. what first came to mind with me in this movie, all the way down to like, you know, are we willing to break you know, some eggs to make an omelet. Like we know that people have been put to death in this country who were later proven to be innocent. And it's like, so we know that a system that is going to take people's lives away from them is flawed in its ability to like accurately judge or at least at a hundred percent hit rate, like be accurate. And yet we still perpetuate it because we seem to believe that the ability to like exact vengeance on people um, is justifiable on those other 99%. Like we're okay with a couple innocent people dying in American history. So long as we can take out our blood vengeance on those who have harmed, who actually harmed us. Right. And the movie mm. like really grapples with that in a very kind of get through the back door kind of way, because obviously it, it does it by like taking away that, that life for a life kind of thing entirely it, it becomes we'll just put these people in like a perpetual state of sleep we'll take away their life but in a way that feels like more humane to your sensibility and ultimately how much are you willing to tolerate and consider to be quote unquote justice in terms of that like you know mixed bag of innocent or guilty um, and I, I think I think that's really smart I think it does wrestles with those kind of very weighty questions in a way that like we're like probably the people in that society more willing to stomach then we are talking about actually like killing somebody who might be innocent. Right. Um, yeah. So I just think that's really smart. Um, and ultimately, I think it's it kind it of comes back to what you're saying, which is there is this like foundational delusion that often gets wrapped into justice and vengeance and retribution. And we talked about this with like John Wick and, and some other movies about like vengeance before. But just like this foundational idea that like we can in some way use the tools that we consider to be evil when used against us. But like for good purposes, when we wield them, we can perpetuate actions that do exactly what we are terrified of against those that we believe, quote unquote, deserve it. And that makes it somehow not evil because we are the ones doing it rather than being done unto us. Right. And we are innocent and they are guilty. And, And I think this movie just does a really good job of showing how precarious that line of thinking is of not just saying, mm. no, the tool itself is what's like off limits. No, the action itself is what we are not allowed to perpetuate because we believe it to be bad, right? Um, it yeah. shows up precarious when you just like allow that subjectivity to seep into conversations of what is just, what is it, what is punishment, what is retribution, what is yada, 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 um, in a way that I think find very thought provoking.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think it's kind of, in a way it, it, it's it's so easily in the way that all great sci-fi does and you you you've kind of been saying this but it's so easily tra- just translates to to our own struggles with our own justice system right and yeah. um i even and i i had to pull up one of my favorite quotes from the movie is from Crazy Planet Lady again i shouldn't have learned the name by now but that's <laughs> she's fine she's your favorite she's um, your favorite
1: part of the movie just own it john
0: it's good uh So she's talking with Cruz, she says, and she brings up the minority reports, and she says the minority reports are destroyed instantly. John asks, Mm. why are they destroyed? And she says, who wants a justice system that instills doubt? It may be reasonable, but it's still doubt. And it's kind of what you're saying, that like, when you're on that side of justice, when you're on the side of not the the victim of this system— All you want to know is, is it perfect? And if it is, I don't have to think about it anymore, right? It's why the whole movie changes when she points out that it's not this clear cut and why John's whole perspective of his entire universe changes when he considers that it's not this clean cut, right? That he thinks, but wait, you know, this was fine and dandy when it wasn't attacking me, when I wasn't the victim of it, when I wasn't on the side of it. Um. This might be a, another slight tangent, but a lot of this kind, again, just talking about the the state of the justice system and different things like that, it, it reminds me. I read this amazing kind of quote one time. It was it was just in an online forum, it was somewhere on Reddit, that someone asked the question generally. uh, you know, lawyers, how do you represent someone that you know is guilty, right? How do you represent someone and and have this full-throated defense and And, you know, and I think the question was written pretty condescendingly. It was like, how do you sleep at night? Like if you defending someone like that and the, the best response, the highest response was a lawyer who basically shut him down by saying, Hey, like me doing my job is how you should be able to sleep at night because a good justice system isn't judged by how it treats the innocent people. It's just by how it treats everyone. Right? Like we know that if we're, accused or ideally you would know that if you're accused unfairly you have a fair shake because you know that privilege extends to someone who even is accused even if they know even if it's obvious that they did the wrong thing right like that person still deserves the full extent of legal protection yeah and and that's the the standard that we have to hold them to in order to know that everyone's getting it um on an even more tangent, I'm disturbed lately by how much I see people who kind of don't realize that, right? Like, you'll see yeah. people on, on comments online for egregious crimes. And don't get me wrong, like, egregious crimes should be punished. Justice is a valuable thing. But they'll say things like, you know, someone should just shoot this person. Someone should just, you know. Oh, you know yeah, it's horrifying. Or, or, yeah. or like, I think, like, the worst side is you'll see where, where there is vigilante action, that people say like, oh, that, you know, we shouldn't really hold that person accountable for that because they deserved it. And it's like, y'all are missing the point of a justice system. You're missing that, like, you know, the, the whole idea is that there is always doubt. There is always uncertainty. And again, I think this is what this movie nails is the fact that it's like, when you're on the side of, when you're not being accused, it's so easy to frivolously say like, well that person just deserves this fate yeah but once you're in that seat you suddenly realize i want all those protections i don't want people taking the law into their own hands i don't want i do want you know the full extent of whether or not this is reasonable whether or not there's any doubt to be explored um so yeah i don't know i think it's 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 something that is so critical and, and by taking it to the extreme this movie does of having kind of a fate worse than death if we're being honest yeah i think it it really accentuates that it's like but are we doing much better by you know locking people up by by death penalty whatever it it, it really begs a lot of those questions everybody thank you again so much for listening uh we do have a final question mike and i have each prepared for each other before that we just want to tell you the next episode we're going to be doing is the shining from 1980s stanley kubrick horror masterpiece as the as the uh poster so eloquently stated uh mike how you know how big are you on all the conspiracy stuff are we gonna get into it i'm not Apollo 11.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Okay. Hold on. I thought you meant about what's going on inside this movie. Not like the ones outside the movie. Uh, yeah, no, no, we're going to, it's real. All that's real. We're going to go
0: all yeah, into I am
1: Harrison for in the last Jedi or whatever that movie is. It's all real. Every piece of it.
0: Yeah. The, there it is. Did you know that JFK was uh, murdered on the
1: set of the shining? Did you know that Sean? It happened. I,
0: I did not know that. Thank you. for. That's good to know though. Good information. <laughs> Uh, Hopefully you're excited about that. Check out the movie before the podcast. Final question. So, Mike, uh, I'll just go first. We didn't talk about uh, one of those little offhand world building scenes was the dream kind of VR escapist like little little thing. Um, Again, very funny in hindsight uh, how like poorly rendered that vision of technology is compared to what we have now. You know, like the weird plastic suit. Do you do you remember oh, i yeah, talking about yeah, the yeah. weird plastic suits where they're, yeah. Um, having said that, what would be the the VR experience that God. you would keep returning Dang. to? Because I, I just I just can't get over the guy who's just standing there being congratulated by yeah, a bunch of coworkers, seemingly for something very yep. small. I feel so sad for yeah. that guy. I'm like, you're paying money for this experience. Just go, just go learn the guitar, Greg. Come on, Greg. Like, just you know, like, <laughs> just, just, just edify yourself a little bit. You're, you don't have to. You're stoop still to young, this level. Greg. So what would, <laughs> what would that, what would that be for you? What would you go in there and be like? Let me. I do mean, this. this is this Pre- is prefer-
1: legitimately the worst, Judd, because we haven't done this in forever. This is my question: <laughs> is what would you do? Oh no! Wrote, what would you do in the Dream <gasps> Emporium? This is it. This is it wow we haven't done this since like wow. i think the cat on there. aliens we're so
0: uncreative i'm so disappointed in us. We,
1: well we went through a stretch on the other yeah. hand it
0: makes this easy we both just have to we both just have to so find like, the answer so what isn't do you got the,
1: isn't the correct answer in a place in which you can't murder people that you would murder somebody like isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the the, oh, the no. only forbidden oh, fruit no. that this i'm so this horrified dream now <laughs> no. um yeah, this is like a so there's like a serious question or answer to this, and then there's like a silly mm-hmm. one. I mean, I think the serious one is like a technology like that, wouldn't the answer be like to go back and see like lost loved ones? You know, like hang out with your old dog? Stuff Man, like that.
0: That's a crazy serious yeah, answer. I did yeah. not I was not ready for those I, kinds of things. I think guns. that's yeah. like the Yeah, yeah I guess the, the, so that's like,
1: like the thing about like dreaming is like you have these moments you get to like see people you've lost anyway. Um not not serious yeah i can't disagree with you not serious i mean i would just love to be like i so i was playing basketball at our church the other day Mm. and the the teens have lowered the rim to like seven feet and it's one of those moments where you're like basketball is so much easier when you are tall. Like, it's so much easier. And I would...
0: This is why seven-foot-tall guys get into the NBA. So, I would love
1: to just be able to, like, pop into a seven-foot body and play some ball. Like, that just seems... Like, Kevin Durant's body of just, like, a a fluid seven-footer and just be like... That just seems so fun. It just seems awesome. And not to have to deal with, like, the physical problems that come with being that tall. Just sounds great. I'm there.
0: It's kind of the best of both worlds in that case. Yeah. I, I definitely did think about, like, fighting games and stuff like that. Like, just... Ex, you know, the execution side. It's I. don't think you're saying it quite this way, but also like like in terms of being so successful at it. Like I de- I did relate to that with that guys As sad as his experience was, I was like, man, just like winning a big tournament, yeah. and it's like, oh my God, you're the best. It's like, yeah, why not? Sounds great. But what I landed on is um, or what I think I would land on is like again, cliche for dreams, but we can live with that. Flying, right? Give me the flying yeah, experience, and I'm sweet. happy. Frankly. It dictates a lot of my video game purchasing uh, habits at the moment. Yeah. Anything freedom-based, anything, like, exploring-based. Uh, there's this amazing game called Abzu, which is about, um, like, basically, like, this very, like, like you're sort of swimming, and it's just very flowy and very free, like, exploration. Sign me up. I'm there for any of that. Frankly, wish it was here now. You know what? I, we need to catch up to Minority Report. That's all yeah. I'm saying i'm with you
1: i'm here yeah i am here
0: uh but yeah i guess also the the passed away loved ones i That's just like yeah it's dark <laughs> um, okay. I, I,
1: I almost regret sharing it at this point because uh it's pretty dark
0: <laughs> well i was trying to i was trying to make a joke out of it but you made it serious again so now yeah, we're just no, living cool. in this space cool. of sadness it's
1: cool, it's cool john. yeah okay. i would i well, would murder you, you john that's that's the answer to my
0: question okay I was gonna say it's good to know we had the guts to do what Spielberg didn't and end in a dark place. So, with that in mind, with that in mind, thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully, you've had fun. Uh, and again, check us out next week to talk about The Shining. Mike, always a pleasure. My
1: eyes.
0: Okay. I, yeah. You know, Let's just end it. That's it. We're done. We're done.